right, welcome back to the Dictate the Game podcast, episode three this weekend. Thank you for joining us at DictateTheGame.com and on all our social platforms. We do appreciate it. Today on the show, we have, of course, Dom. Hello, Dom. Hello. How's it going? And we have Ben, a new person on the uh, on the Dictate the Game podcast today. How are you doing, Ben? Hi there. I'm doing well, thanks. And Ben, since you haven't been on the podcast so far, tell us a little bit about uh, how you got involved in the website at dictatethegame.com and what got you into Football Manager. Oh, this happened a long time after Football Manager. Like, I've been involved in Football Manager for years and years and years. It's 2012 or 2013. It was only, like, shortly after I actually got into football, to be fair. I used to absolutely hate football when I was younger. Like, um, my parents kept trying to get me into it, but I wouldn't even, like, want to kick a ball. I'm not entirely sure why, but... I, I think as soon as I got into Football Manager, I saw lots of like communities, um, like FM Central and things like that. And I think I ended up just, I'm just bumping in on into online a lot of people that I kind of like talking to, and where I saw people that were really obsessive into things, into it. And I, I'm a kind of person that can get really, really obsessed into something. <laughs> and I, I think it just went from there. And once you get play a few hours of the game, you end up. You end up buying the next game and buying the next game. That's something that we were talking about recently is that, um, you know, it's either a game where you play for like 10 hours or you play for a thousand hours. It's it's just is what it is. Yeah, particularly when you're like younger and um, you don't really play any other games that much. You really just kind of want to do something that you've just come up with at that second and that, um, and that you can just do without really facing any consequences. Um, you can just play around with things and experiment. So, like, it felt very, I felt very autonomous doing it. And how did you get into uh, dictate the game? How did you get into writing for the website? That was a few years later. Um, I know I bumped into it like on Facebook. I think most people bumped into it on social media channels. Part of, I, I, when I, when I, when I signed up, I didn't, I don't think I even knew anything about the site or actually, or actually where it was going to go or anything like that. And. I, but there was an open advert, so I can't. I think I kind of thought, why not at the time? But but when I actually got a mess, I was actually surprised I got any kind of response back. And then <laughs> if you, I was actually surprised I got any kind of response back. And then um, and I actually took a few days to actually say yes, I actually want to join after I got a response back. But I just saw an open advert. I think it's because they take the game also advertised on FM Central. I think it was on one of those groups. I just saw a, I just saw something like that. And I used to I used to write a bit when I was younger, and I hadn't got back into it recently. And I think I thought, why not? But I'm struggling to really remember. Well, we want to actually talk about one of the articles that you've written because you've written a ton of articles for Dictate the Game. We want to re- talk about the article that you uh, wrote last week about how to concede less with a high line because I think that a lot of people um, have trouble with that. But first, Dom, we want to talk about. Uh, the matches that are coming up. Of course, we have the final of the championship on Monday, tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Sunday. We have the Champions League final, and we have the Europa League final coming up before our next podcast. We, we do. It will be, it'll be very interesting. Um, ben, who do you support, by the way? Oh, I've said it loads of times, but um, West Brom. Okay. Well, you haven't been on the podcast, so I'm just wondering. <laughs> uh, a bit of content. Um, okay, so West Brom fam, how do you feel about the championship playoffs? Do you mean how, I, how do I feel about the concept, or how do I feel about how we did? Yeah, how you did. I was at the Hawthorns. Um, oh, were you? Oh, blimey. Yeah, I was at the Hawthorns. That was amazing, honestly, because usually it's actually really quiet. And there's... Oh. And um, 
hadn't actually seen an atmosphere like it in terms of going there and seeing lots of people waving flags and stuff. But um, it was difficult because we were actually ahead so much longer than we were behind, but we still ended up losing over two legs. But I think everybody actually thought we were going to lose um, before before the Aston Villa game. So it was still fun while we could be there. But the real war, the real worry is kind of the future because from here, like we have, we, we've turned up signing Dwight Gale. From here, it looks like we have to cut costs a lot because we we kept most of the squad together. We have like a Premier League, we have like a Premier League wage bill. And we can either go two ways. One way is we can be like Aston Villa and we can end up having to have people um, buy stakes in the club to kind of stop us from going into administration. Or we can end up having to cut costs and end up going from trying to survive in the Premier League to trying to survive in the Championship. So are you the kind of person that since Aston Villa beat your team, you want to see them win or you want to see them lose? (laughs) Well, I think most fans would choose the second one, really. But, um, I mean, I don't... When when you're at Derby Day, obviously you hate your rivals. But I think the biggest reason, I think the biggest thing I actually have against Aston Villa is John Terry being their assistant. So you do you want do you want Derby to win? Pretty much, yeah. I would have rather Leeds won in the first place, but I think I think Frank's done a fantastic job. He has done a fantastic job, and the question you know comes with that that is if he does win and he, they do get promoted. Is he going to be the manager next year anyway? Because there's a lot of talk of him replacing Sari at Chelsea, regardless of what happens with the Europa League final. I think I think Sari's had a very good season. I've said this before. I think that he's come into a league where you've got Manchester City and Liverpool getting you know over 95 points. So for him to come in and get third in a very competitive league is pretty good. Um, he's got a lot of issues with. Um, his uh, transfer bans. Uh, I think he's struggling with obviously Hazard, but I think he needs to start giving their youth players a chance because when we were talking to um, Fernando Gonzalez last week, he was saying that Chelsea's the worst place for a youngster like Pulisic to go to. Well, the, the thing is, um, I think there was one game where he played three Chelsea um, graduates together, Christensen, um, Hudson Adoy, and Loftus Cheek together. Uh, uh, lot, I know lots of che- lots of Chelsea fans are unhappy about that kind of thing, and I think most clubs fans would say that would say that it could be better at their club. But I, I think he's doing pretty well in that regard, especially in comparison to the ones they previously had. Before we go on to the Europa League final, let's take our uh, bets on who we think is going to win the Championship playoff. What do you got, Dom? Derby or Aston Villa? I think I want Derby to win it, but I think Aston Villa will. I'm just one of those head versus heart the moments, and I think I think it'll be Aston Villa. What do you think? Uh, I see it being a game with lots and lots of stoppages and lots and lots of free kicks. Because I kind of saw that 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 was what Derby and Villa's tactics were in the last leg. But um, I can, mm, I think Villa are going to win because they've because they've been on such amazing form recently, and Grealish fit because he was injured earlier in the season. I could I could. I haven't actually watched Derby that much, so I could. I actually don't. I don't know what to expect from Derby quite as much as I know what to expect from Villa. But my instinct must be Villa will win, probably like a scrappy one 0 See, I agree with you. I think that uh, Villa is going to win, and I think they're going to go back up. And I think also, I will also say that regardless of what happens, Lampard takes the Chelsea role, which I don't agree with, but I think he takes it. I like. I don't agree with. It. I think they should. They should keep sorry. I think they should give him more of a chance. I think that he's done a great job. I don't think that he deserves it, but I think that he will either be upset and leave on his own accord because of all the tra- the talk about Lampard, 
or they'll let him go if he doesn't um, win the Europa League final, and they'll put Lampard in. Sorry, but what do you mean the talk about Lampard? Because every manager gets uh, talks about other managers coming in. You don't usually see managers leaving because of it. Well, I think that um, Sorry was talking about recently. I think, Dom, you were talking about this off the other. Sorry, was talking about recently. If there's even a question that him uh, winning the Europa League or not, would depend would have his job depend on it that he doesn't want to be there anyway. Yeah, he said that in a couple of press conferences already. So I think that he's uncomfortable with the idea that his job is even in question right now anyway. So those kind of uh, relations are a little bit frayed there. So if there's even the fact that they're talking about Lampard makes him is going to push him over the edge. I think what he was trying to say, reading between the lines, is that his job doesn't depend on it because he wouldn't be there if it did. So I think he was just trying to say that, um, say whatever the club have decided, the club have decided, and it won't depend on that game. I think it was more of a dig at the press and the club, but yeah. I can see that. And so that leads into the match between Arsenal and Chelsea. What do we think about that match, boys? Who do we think is going to, um, how do you think that's going to turn out, and who do you think is going to win that match? Oh, that's, again, that's a really hard call. They've both had pretty good seasons. Um, obviously, it's a shame Eagles not here to talk about it because obviously I think he'd support Arsenal in that one. Um, but uh, I've, I'm going to say Arsenal. Even without Mkhitaryan? Because is Mkhitaryan going to play? Oh, yeah. He's, he's actually, yeah, he's the issues with uh, racism or something, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, he's, um, it's, yeah, something to do with whether, I can't remember where, where they're actually playing it, but he's Armenian and there's a problem yeah, making sure he's going to be safe, you know, where they're going to play the final. So um, last time I knew he wasn't going to play because they couldn't uh, guarantee his safety, the government mm. there. That's horrible. I feel really sorry for him. I do too, because he should be able to, I mean, you know, there's been so many, I mean, think about the discord that's been going on around the world anyway, around Olympic games, and somehow we figure out how most of the countries can come together and play the games together. So it's really too bad that we can't get a full squad team, not because of injury, but because of politics, really. Mm. I think Arsenal will win the Europa League, I think. It w- it will be in it won't be penalties or extra time. I think they'll win it in normal time. And I think I mean Aubameyang and Lacazette have had such a good season together. They've been a really good partnership up top, and they've scored in really they've they've been. It's not just they've been good, but they've been good in big games. Like I've seen stats about how many goals and assists Aubameyang's got in big games, and he's really turned up when it's needed. And I think he will again. Um, I think Arsenal do need to rebuild, but I do think they'll win. Czech also is having a fantastic you know, end to the season, and it's great that it's almost like his testimonial in that it will be Chelsea versus Arsenal in his last game. And he's going back to Chelsea next year, isn't he, as in, in his staff role? Is he? I don't, I'll check. A director of football, I think. Get it? I'll check. Get it? I'll check. Oh, okay. Ben, did you pick? Do you, what do you have? Who do you have? You, you pushed it off the Dom first. Now you have to make your decision. <laughs> Who do you have for the uh, Europa League final? I think thinking about, I think I would have went for Chelsea if there weren't like, if there wasn't Hudson Odoi injured, if there wasn't Loftus Cheek injured. I think Chelsea look like a much different team when they have certain players fit because they haven't quite pieced everything together. They um they haven't quite pieced um pieced their attack together mainly. And when they have players that can kind of that are kind of individuals that can kind of drive the ball forwards. If they don't if they don't have these certain players, then they look a, they look a lot more toothless. And I could, and Arsenal have a Bamiang and they have um what was the other attacking player? Lacazette. Lacazette, that's it. 
if they have those two, uh, yeah, I could see Arsenal winning. I could see Chelsea winning it too because they have both sides. Because Chelsea are quite good defensively, on the other hand. Are we just going to agree on everything here? Is that the plan? We're just going to agree and make it really boring? We're just going to disagree. I know that. I'm not going to disagree on this one. I am going to say I do think that it's, that it's going to be Arsenal, but I am going to say that Arsenal is going to win and Sarri is going to leave. They're going to fire Sarri and Lampard's going to go in. I'm more cons- interested in that than the actual game itself because the Champions League, as you guys know, I'm a Liverpool supporter, so the Champions League game is the thing that I'm really interested in. The only thing I can see about Sarri is that I'm not like certain how much how much he's how much he's brought in with the players because I still I don't know he gives off subtle cues of it sometimes like um like where like when he has, like when all the like when he has a kind of talk to the, all the players himself and all of his staff had to kind of stay outside the room it doesn't and and also he's um, whenever he's asked about Hazard he kind of says oh he can stay if he wants but um what well, we can't guarantee anything and it's his choice. And he's also said times before that, you know, he doesn't really even get involved in transfer talk because he's basically said, hey, listen, wherever, whoever you get, I'll work with. So if you want to transfer this person out or get this person in, that's fine. I'll work with whatever you get. So he's not even really involved in that space. So I could see what you're talking about there. Uh, I mean, it might just it might be him just talking in a way that's a bit unlike other football managers in the sense that he's just he just gives completely honest answers to questions. Maybe it's just some. Maybe it's just what it's just a departure from what we're used to listening to from manager speak. But um, I don't know. It feels like something. If it, as with most Chelsea managers, it feels like something's up behind the scenes. I'm not certain. Like I'm not certain he's got the right staff in because like I, um. From what I remember, he's got Zola as his assistant. And I think the main reasons behind that are like he he's Italian, he speaks English, he worked at Chelsea before. But um, usually, as a number two, you kind of want someone that you absolutely trust with every you absolutely trust with everything. Often, when you just kind of mismatch staff together, it doesn't seem to work too well. And I wonder whether what well, that's what's happening at Chelsea. We have Arsenal winning the uh, the Europa League final. So going on to the Champions League, Tottenham, Liverpool. This is going to be an interesting match because in my mind, if you look at where Tottenham is in the league, in the Premier League, and where uh, Liverpool is, it's a big difference between the quality of the two teams. But we're coming down to a one-match scenario. So I think in general, if you look at the way the teams have performed throughout the uh, league year, Liverpool's got this. But it could all come down to one game. I don't know why, like, I don't know why that neither um, Klopp or Pochettino has been nominated for manager of the season in terms of actually, in terms of if either of one of them actually win the Champions League, it would be an absolutely phenomenal achievement. And it just seems a bit weird that, it, that all the candidates nominated, even if they are really good, have done things that kind of managers do every season, like um, um, get a team promoted. Um, like um, Fark and Wilder did there, um, or like even though what he did was incredible, like Guardiola for winning the um, for winning um, for winning the title or winning the FA Cup. I, I, I partly, if you're talking about a side that's actually got a, a, a manager that's got his sides to actually perform way above their limits and kind of uh, and do things that they never thought were were really ever going to happen, I would have I I would have I would have nominated whichever manager ended up winning this. They've both had great seasons, and I wouldn't merit their season based on whether they win this or not. This is an achievement in itself. I think they both should have been nominated. You can't really fault either team. I mean, Spurs beat Man City. Uh, Liverpool beat Barcelona. You know, they've both... Ha- it's not exactly like they've had easy runs, should we say. And they both had comebacks in the finals for the both of their um, 
uh, in their semi-finals. You know, Liverpool's come back against Bayern, uh, Barcelona, and then Spurs has come back against Ajax, which were both absolutely incredible. I think Liverpool are the favourites, but I don't think this will be like any other Champions League final because of the you know, national rivalry between the two teams. I mean, it was like when Man United played Chelsea in the 2008 final. It wasn't It wasn't like your average final because it was It was a bit more to it. It was a bit more of a rivalry because they're both English. I mean, it's great for the game, for English football, but I think it will be... It'll either be like a 5-4 or like a 0-0 and goes to pens. That's my guess. And you look at how uh, Klopp, you mentioned how he's playing when he first came in. He was playing that way. I don't think that there's a very big difference between the way that they're playing now and the way that they're playing, or the style in which they're playing now and the style in which they played before. But they have much better defense now. They had a horrible defense before. So they were trying, they just, they were conceding more goals. But I agree with you is that he he's one of those managers. And it's not just because I'm a Liverpool supporter, but if you look at any other um year that would have been a premier league winning run and if you look at how manchester city just ran away with it the year before to close that gap in the way that liverpool has closed the gap in um standings between last year and this year is really quite incredible because by all means, this is a team that Manchester City is a team that's becoming one of those like Barcelona type teams where it's just they're going to be there every single year at the top of the uh, the table now. A lot of it's because of of uh, Guardiola, but to get a century in the Premier League last year and then to get what was it ninety three points this year, something like that. Um, do you think Sturridge is going to play? No, I don't think Sturridge. I, th- I think they're going to get as long as. I think they're going to. I would probably see the way he's been playing Origi play before I play Sturridge, just because Origi's been playing so well. But then again, it's going to be coming down to Liverpool has a lot of in- injuries too, and I don't think uh, Tottenham has too many injuries other than is Kane going to play? Do you know? If he does play, I can't see him being sharp at all. Like, and Kane's the kind of player who takes a few games to get back, doesn't he? Right, so that's a big, big uh, loss for Tottenham. So, I mean, if, if you take everything at face value, it looks like, I don't know, boys, I think we're going to be talking about uh, Liverpool being a, the champions of the Champions League. I'm going with Spurs. Really? I'm going with Spurs. Just, just because... Um, to be contrarian. Yeah, we need to have some sort of variation on this podcast, otherwise we all look like sheep. <laughs> um, no, genuinely, I, th- I think Spurs will win it because Liverpool are the favourites, and... They were in this position last year, and they lost to Real Madrid, which was un- unfortunate. But I, I think that they'll they'll choke again, and I think that they'll become some sort of joke that they will get to the finals, but never never win it like some sort of curse. That's a joke with Tottenham as well, isn't it? Well, they haven't won anything in years, yeah. absolutely years. But I think they'll win it just because I'd like to see Liverpool fans suffer <laughs> even more than they already have. You know, they they've finished the season with ninety. Uh, 97 points. They lost one game. Top goal scorer in the league. Second joint top goal scorer in the league. You know, absolutely incredible season. And they don't, don't even win anything. Like that's hilarious. <laughs> Come on, it's hilarious to you to over here. It's oh, I mean, I can't really talk being a um the Oval Town fan. It doesn't exactly make sense because obviously we we've, we've just been relegated to non-league. Oh God, I heard about Yeovil. Yeah, it's it talks about them. It's not. It's not been a great season. Yeah, because uh, there was like stuff around around Yeovil was like I'm um, asking for their manager to be sacked, wasn't there? Like even posters around the town. Yep. Yeah. We yeah, are. 
we have a lot of support for our manager currently. Dom, I can tell you this. Everybody can talk, but not everybody yep. can make sense when they're talking. What are you trying to say? <laughs> I don't know. We're talking. Oh, the It's going to be. So here's the uh, rundown of what we have. We have everybody has Aston Villa. Everybody has Arsenal. I have Liverpool. Ben has Liverpool. Dom has Tottenham. So we'll have to see how this works out. All right. So we're going to move on to uh, Ben's uh, great article that we had about conceding less in FM19 with using a high line in just a few minutes. But I wanted to remind you that you can get all this information, everything that we're talking about at dictatethegame.com. Dictatethegame.com, a great place for Football Manager 19 tactics, analysis, we have some great stories going on right now. Also, some real-life football uh, chat on dictatethegame.com. We have articles three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and the podcast that you're listening to right now every single Sunday on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. So check it all out at dictatethegame.com. So earlier on this week, Ben, you had a, a great article, and this is why I like your writing style, because you get really into some very specific things. And one of the sp more specific things that you got into recently was how to defend or how to concede less goals when using a high line. So tell us, in our football manager states, because I think a lot of people want to use a high line, but they do get a lot of con goals conceded. How do we make sure that we concede less when using a high line. I think there's a perception that natural, that when you defend high that it's more that it's always more risky and when you defend deeper it's always less risky and it's like two distinct styles of play but often often it's just about like imagining exactly exactly how you want to play and then implementing it and making sure every player is kind of doing the same thing a lot of it a lot of it's trial and error it can just be sometimes like tweaking a role um but if you uh, if you actually if you if that's really what, how you pictured your team playing and what you actually want then the easier things to, then the easier things to do is make sure there aren't any massive spaces like either in behind it could be out wide that um that another team can just that another team can evade your evade your press and kind of exploit straight away and sometimes sometimes it's easier sometimes it's easier um going all out in some going all out in the sense of not let, not having anyone not having anyone absolutely not having anyone absolutely dropping off because then if one player drops off um there's more room for some there's more room for people to take advantage of the spaces that are there in the first place because you have a high line so you really need to squeeze the squeeze the pitch so that the uh, so that the other team so that the other team can't really progress out the pitch. Um, uh, I've always found one formation really useful for it, like for um four one two three um defensive midfield or wide. But there are probably other, lots of other formations that do it. But um, but it's worth remembering that like it's not quite as flexible as it is in real life in the sense that if you have three strikers you can't have two that end up as like half midfielders exactly especially off the ball if you pause if you pause if you ever pause um you nearly always find that whatever formation you put your team in the team are, are roughly in that kind of formation off the ball even if you pick two of the strikers as false nines or two of them as pressing forwards so everything so everything matters but i'm but I would, I would definitely say be careful with the formation. 
there was a while on um, some football manager games. I don't think it's. I don't know. I haven't tried it on this year's, but there was a definitely last year and the year before. If you played with three strikers, it basically gave you a win. It was such a broken tactic. There was something in the code, or it just was not designed to deal with three strikers. In some ways, that's definitely true because often, because often, like. I think there's I think there's a thing about about strikers being able to peel off centre backs. It seemed like something that was that was kind of exploited quite a lot. What I used to do was have like three trecatistas really high up. So then whenever the team got the ball back, you can just basically get the ball up to the trecatista because they're standing in space. And then there are other trecatistas with them. And I ended up scoring like seven goals a game at some point. But um, I'm not saying don't play. I'm not saying don't play a four three three. There, are, I think there are ways to make everything work. But um. But it's definitely like if you if you're I found it very hard to like reliably like to reliably have a method of defending where you're where you're really trying to press the opposition you're really trying to squeeze the opposition and try to keep the keep a high line I think a four three three is deeper is easier when you're not playing such a high line. Uh, is it formation really that you're talking about to be able to uh, avoid that counterattack? Because that's the problem that I have is you find yourself camping in their uh, zone so much that if they're going to play in a defensive mindset or a counterattacking mindset, then it's just going to kill you every single time. It doesn't kill you every single time, um, but there are sometimes when there are problems it's um it can sometimes take quite a lot of tinkering to kind of counter it some and also sometimes you have kind of have to depart from um depart from something that you've just kind of it's kind of embedded in the way you play and you've kind of played in for years because i'm always used to like having two really attacking fullbacks and having a halfback but then but then you realize that well, when, when you pause the screen that actually even when the halfback's not with the two center backs they, 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 those two are really wide and are kind of in no man's land anyway because they are, because it's very hard to get teams in a really proactive defensive shape in the game. So a lot, uh, so it's often easier. So it's often easier when you kind of make sure you have cover in kind of every area of the pitch. So like, so I think I pointed out being a bit careful with your fullbacks for that reason. And it's, and it's probably the same with your strikers and it's probably the same with your midfielders. But um what like is that something you've tried recently like playing with high line if so i'm really interested in how it's ended up well it depends on how yeah i i i um had experimented with some kinds of different gagan press and and you know there's a lot of high lines there i've also been looking at um a couple of uh different forums around the si forum there was some really good posts about setting up defensively because i think there's a lot of posts about setting up offensively but less about how to really set up defensively and it seems like staying away from a high line works out a little bit better overall for a lot of tactics but you know you want to have that we were talking about clop before you want to have that exciting attacking situation in your fm save you want to try to get that high line but you leave yourself exposed to quick counterattacks. The biggest thing that it's really hard to get away from when you're playing a high, a high line, I think it's almost a compromise you have to make, although there are things you can do to mitigate it, is that um, or it's quite easy to get opponents to shoot less and it's quite easy to get them to have less shots on target, but often like you end up with um, one shot on target conceded and one chance conceded. It's sort of a compromise you have end up having to make because in nearly every game, um, I, I end up with like more shots, more shots on target, more possession. But um, but it, I I I think it's something you can do when you consider like 
when you have a strong enough team so that the opponents will only have one striker up front and you have a back four and a midfield of three, um, you really can. And it's a mu- and it, I know that if I were a player and I were under a manager, if I were having myself as a manager, that's how I'd end up wanting to play in the opponent's half. I'm, ma- I'm having teammates making runs that they worry about. Um, but also feeling secure enough to be able to like have the ball for seventy percent of the, for, for for a lot of the game, but still have a way of dealing with that defensively. Oh, Dom, do you think you have enough, or do you have anything to add? Do you guys have anything else you wanted to really add? Oh, we haven't got Luke here. Oh no, what else have we got coming up on the website this week? Do we know? I don't know. Ryan didn't know what he was going to do. Oh, actually, I think I'm I'm doing another piece this week. I think because I covered William last week. Do you know what you're doing? Um, I might talk about my Leipzig save, actually. I'm in my second season with Leipzig, and I've made a couple of good signings, and somehow I've ended up uh, top of the league after half a season, so it might be worth sharing some tactical advice there, if anyone wants to, you know, follow that. I, uh, when you're talking about um, uh, counter-attacking football, I've played basically this weird hybrid of just dominating games and but then still sitting back and then counterattacking as well works a charm, and I seem to have about twenty-five shots a game and score one. So like a counterattacking way of dominating games. Yeah, like we'll okay. sit very deep, but then we'll suddenly break through and score from distance or something like that. It, uh, my average long shots is I think twelve in my team, and I've scored like twenty goals outside the box already this season. So you're going to share the uh, tactic as well, so people can try it out if they want on their own save, right? Yeah, so the, the thing is, is that the tactic's actually not just one tactic, it's actually three. So it initially starts as a 4-3-3, with three central midfielders, two attacking wingers, and then a striker up front. And there's also the second tactic, which turns into a 4-2-3-1, so you push one of the central midfielders forward into that pocket. And then the third tactic is a 4-1-2-3, so like, instead of having the cam, you have a DM. And, it, and so it's a very flexible tactic, because you play, you can change it in between games and stuff and you've because you've still got those three central midfielders that can kind of play and it's it's very versatile because you can start a game playing the three in the middle and then you can push a player forward or you can push a player back depending on how the game's going and it it, it seems to work because this year the ai has been really good at picking out tactics and if you play a tactic more than i'm gonna say six games in a row they'll they'll work it out and they'll beat you with it i found that so it's quite good having um, a tactic which is slightly flexible and flexible enough that you don't have to worry about like being found out because suddenly if you start playing the the attacking four two three one enough times then you'll um you'll get found out so you switch back to a more counter attacking style of the with the dm in there that kind of sits in that corner and distributes the ball to the inside forwards um but always i've always got um because it's leipzig i've got um timo Werner up front playing as a pressing forward and he is the best player I've ever managed in Football Manager. Um, he's just an absolute machine. Uh, I want. I would happily have his children if he asked me to. Um, he's just. A, he, I, I'm tempted to get a Leipzig top with his name on it because he's that good. Like he's just. Wow. Let me just. Let me just double check. He got. T- he's got 13 and 16 in the league this season. 23 and 24 overall. Like I don't even know how, but he's a brilliant player. Definitely one to watch. He's only. T- he's only 22, 23 in real life. So he's got. If he comes to the Premier League, I'll, I'll happily say on the record that I think he'll he'll do pretty well. Do you have anything else you want to say about him? Because you sound like you really. I mean, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to say anything bad about him because I'm afraid you're going to get upset. Well, what do you think's wrong with him? What's wrong with oh, him? No, I'm, see, now you're getting all defensive. I didn't yeah. mean. I'm just saying, if I was to get, if I was to say anything bad about him, I feel like you defend him. 
like you're like you're dating or something. He's like, <laughs> he's like, yeah. Oh, I wish. <laughs> I wish. Nah, he's he's a good player. I don't know if he's very easy to sign though. That's the only thing because he's worth about. He hasn't got any. Oh, he's got a minimum fee release clause of sixty million. So if anyone wants to fork out sixty million for him, they're more than welcome. That's not a bit. That's not bad for somebody that's that good. You're talking about. I'm gonna hopefully change that. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get rid of that in his next contract. Don't worry. I'll I'll definitely increase that. So we'll be looking at for that on the uh, Dictate the Game website coming up. Uh, which day is it gonna be? Uh, Friday, I think. Friday. So we'll be able to check out a little bit more about how great Timo Werner is, how great your save's going. We'll be able to check out that tactic because that's really cool. I like a lot of uh, that using and shifting tactics throughout matches. I think that that really does help out, especially in uh, this version of FM. And uh, going back to what you were talking about in your article this past week, because you can also get at dictatethegame.com, that would be something that I would like to be able to see in 2020 is the idea of not only having instructions in defense transition and attack, but maybe the idea of being able to shift formations manually um, in that. Yeah. So you'd be able to have like a four, uh, uh, a uh, four four two in attack, a four five one in transition, and a four three three in uh, in, a, in attack. That would be something that would be cool in game as well. Almost like you can do with pro evolution soccer. That could work. I think what I think what FM was trying to say, if you put that forward, is that um what it what it's kind of meant to be is like the form the base formation you pick is I think it's like a defensive screen, but then the players move in it depending on like what role you give them and what instructions you give them. So it's more like the formation actually shifts when you're on, when you're on the ball rather than the formation shifting when you're off the ball. I like that. Yeah. Well, great. So we'll be looking at that for uh, dictatethegame.com this coming week. Thank you so much for everybody checking out the podcast. Anything you want to add, Luke? No. All right.